Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Here to talk all things Arsenal is your host, Matthew Wade. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Matthew Wade. Joining me this week, we have podcast regular and graphics extraordinaire creator, Anita Sambol, away from Croatia as ever. Hello, Anita. Hello, hello, Matthew. Always always nice to be here, even, even after a bad week. <laughs> Well, I take that as a big compliment. And <laughs> also joining us, we have a new special podcast guest, which is Met, and she's at AFC underscore Met on Twitter, who is also the host of the new Can You Believe It podcast. And hopefully he's going to blur us away with, it, with our insight or at least make me look slightly better than I normally do. Pleasure <laughs> to have you on. Hello, thank thank you for having me on. Um, again, um, it would be better to come on um, with a win behind us, but you know um, we can only work with what the team gives us. So. Well, to be honest, sometimes it's easy to get, co- even though the content's not as fun. Sometimes there's more to talk about when it's a bit schizophrenic, like this last last couple <laughs> of games have been, and generally our form in total. Um, so. I mean, we'll just jump straight into it. Obviously, there were two games last week. Uh, the first one was the slightly, slightly underwhelming away victory against Rapid Vienna in the Europa League. Um, yeah, I mean, what did we make of that? Uh, it, it was a kind of hard game to know what conclusions to draw from it. I forgot it happened, to be honest. <laughs> when we were talking before starting the recording, uh, it was like, oh, we played two matches last week. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was really uh, obviously we won that. That's the the most important part. But really, it wasn't a nice, nice watching. <laughs> Entirely fair, Matt. Yeah, um, I, I I foolishly tweeted before the game that I was really excited about watching the uh, the game against Rapid Vienna, and then within the first sixty five minutes, completely regretted um, tweeting that because it wasn't an enjoyable experience um, until basically we made some changes and it started to open up um, for us. So in the end, we got the result, but it wasn't really a a pretty watch going through the game. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely was the. Uh, well, there's very few analogies I can use that won't be offensive to someone. But uh, yeah, it was it, it, it was definitely the some a match that had fallen out the ugly tree and hitting every branch on the way down. Um, and it was very much sort of classic circa late Wenger Unai Emery as well, wasn't it? Because it was the kind of thing where. We weren't, we, were, we weren't really doing anything. Then we let in a shit goal. And then suddenly we went, oh, Christ, there's a football match. And there's only half an hour left. We best try and actually up the in pace and intensity and try and win. And suddenly, as soon as we up the pace, Rapid Vienna couldn't contain us. Um, which makes a question, is it about mentality? And, of course, that's a bit of a, big of a bigger question about the, the squad's performances at the start of this season. Um, and obviously, there's a whole load of potential lengthy discussions about Arteta tactical setups. You know, we won't mention the ghost of Urzel uh, at this point. <laughs> um, but um, I mean, do we think we can draw any conclusions from that match, or is it your standard early group game against the best team in the group, in a, apart from yourself in the Europa League? It kind of felt like uh, one of those last matches in the group stage that we always, you know, watch when kind of it's already secured that we are going through and the team is, you know, ah, 
let's just get over with it. That's at least how it looks, as you mentioned, until we realized, yeah, that there is still half an hour to go and we would really use <laughs> winning winning this match. And I mean, yeah, as you said, it was really didn't look good at all until the some standard players were, were introduced and uh, turned the game around a bit. I mean, obviously, there is a difference in quality uh, with uh, Rapid Vienna. And I honestly expected a, a lot easier win, but I'm not sure we can draw some conclusions from there other than that uh, our starting team, starting 11 are definitely good enough to win in this group. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think that's fair. I mean, Which, I mean, on the other side, it's not really something good because uh, one one issue that was raised in, in that match, especially in the Leicester, Leicester one uh, after that one, was the fact that we lacked the defensive cover. We had to play David Lewis and Gabriel mm. in three matches in eight, eight days, and which definitely made uh, uh, David Luiz pick up uh, that uh, injury in I mean probably helped him pick up that injury in the last match yeah I mean we didn't think at the start of the season looking at our amazing collection of central defenders that would be sat here in October thinking, shit, maybe we should have registered Socrates after all. Um, yeah, it, it used to be like, yeah, we need to sell someone, we need to loan a few defenders, and now it's like, oh, who will play? We will play with, what, Mustafi against United? I mean, I, I, mean I, I suppose it is like the good old days of when we had, like, six left-backs injured at the same time and suddenly Matthew Flamimi's... <laughs> yeah, it's it. always in the same position. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It wouldn't, it wouldn't yeah, be well, Arsenal if it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say like it's just classic Arsenal, isn't it? Like where they where they have a massive plethora of options in one position, and it all get injured at the exact same time. So, yeah. And and what I particularly enjoyed about that is they started getting injured just after we'd sent our only two promising reserve left uh, centre halves out on loan. <laughs> <laughs> so there wasn't even that we we couldn't even go calling Ballard, you know, because he's now playing for Blackpool, winning man of the match there, but. Um, you're right, Anita. It did have that slight feel of like uh, playing away at Fenerbahce without Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, Matt, what did, what did you could you did you think there was anything we could take from it in terms of broader conclusions, or was it just uh, an ugly piece of I, game? I I think it was a it was a standard kind of early Europa League game that we could have and. It, when we faced the, the, the supposed top team in the group it, away from home in the first game, it is always pretty difficult. So I think it is kind of tricky to um, pull any conclusions from it. I think when we get deeper into the Europa League, start facing um, the, the lesser teams in the group, um, no disrespect to them, but Mulder and Dundalk at home, I think if then if we produce that type of performance, maybe it's even more worrying. But mm, I think yeah. when you're away from home against an organised team, I don't, I don't think they've lost at home for a very long time. So um, so when, when you face a team like that who's going to be organised, yes, then they may not have the European stature that um, most clubs will have, but um, we still got the result, and that's the most important thing. Um, the performances um, can come later, um, and especially when we face the lower teams at home. But this one, I'm 
I, I wasn't okay at the time, but looking back at it, I'm okay with the, just getting a result and moving on to the lesser games and where we can use different players and find out where we can go from there. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the the the, the uh, Rapid Vienna's home record and their and their defensive solidity because that's one thing that until they started to run out of legs because they're not used to used to competing at that level, that's one thing I, I noticed during the game is they were incredibly well drilled uh, and very uh, like a lot of teams we're going to face very uh, defensively conscious and obviously we've had a very <laughs> bit maybe it was maybe it was what gave Brendan Rodgers his game plan but uh, you know defend defend and then sort of counter attack but with pushing two or three forward with really swift counter attacks and I thought they they had a a greater clarity about how they were trying to play than we do which makes perfect sense because they were massive underdogs their team they yes they've lost a couple of players but they've replaced them with like for like players um whereas arsenal uh, you know you look at us and it screams team in transition doesn't it um so like you i think it's just one to one to put in the bag be grateful for the points because it means there's more games later in the group where uh younger players or fringe players are going to be more able to come to the fore um, of course the negative of it was that it meant all our players were knackered for Sunday <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just wanted to say now that Matt mentioned their home record I, I, one of the sports journalists I can't remember which one now apologies for that mentioned on Twitter how uh, perhaps the fact that there was uh, pe- there were people allowed in the stadium and the home crowd was definitely against Arsenal which <laughs> was really uh, kind of nice to hear you know for, for a change after the crowd noise we get uh, on the TV perhaps that kind of a bit influenced on uh, how our players played especially from playing from the back I think that there was some some kind of stat involved as well how uh, Arsenal playing from the back in during the last season before the lockdown and everything happened worked and how it worked started working you know when there was no people around to to yell and jeer and ask for faster passes or something like that so maybe that's something that we have also learned from from this match that yeah it could influence our us playing from the back because I mean we considered the goal from a kind of error like that. I think you raise a very, very good point there, Anita. Um, I, it did seem genuinely weird having a crowd which was actually responding, and as you say, it was despite the fact there weren't many of them, there was there was they made a good effort at trying to generate some hostility <laughs> there. You know, I was I, like, it, it, I mean, it did feel a little bit like you know twelve EDL blokes marching on the centre of London, but at the same at the same time. <laughs> If you if you'd never seen twelve EDL blokes before, that's going to be quite disconcerting. And and I think for a lot of players, they were they were slightly thrown by it, as you say. The pitch wasn't perfect as well, which definitely definitely suited the home team slightly more. But uh, I think you really picked up on something as well about the the influence of crowd on our playing out from the back because. Um, you know, Leno's never, although he's comfortable enough with the ball at his feet, he's never been had quite the arrogance that Martinez had with the ball at his feet. And that's not to bring up that whole goalkeeper debate because they've got different strengths and weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One more topic, that's the Well, I mean, the thing is, is like 
we can talk about as much as we want. You know, Martinez is gone. We both know that they're goalkeepers who've got slightly different strengths and weaknesses. Martinez was slightly more fearless with the ball at his feet, but not as good at saving at the feet of opposition strikers, etc., etc., etc. We can talk, we can analyse that. It is what it is. But uh, I, I think that you're right. I think that the the power of whoosh, you know, it's sort of. Is there and there's a, you know it, it is something which again everyone has been operating in this sort of splendid silent art, artificial environment like it's a training match for six months and the first time you encounter a, a genuine crowd is going to be a bit like oh shit yeah kind of forgot yeah. about that particularly yeah. as there were so few games played with full attendances you know under Mikel Arteta and with the current team set up and squad composition so I think yeah it's an interesting one to see how that is going to impact in other other away games and overseas um, yeah yeah because I, I think we, we, we haven't um, we, we, we've played under Mikel Arteta a, a lot with instructions so the players are used to hearing him shout on the t- touchlines I mean if I can hear Mikel Arteta shouting Danny ten times a game, like, <laughs> then um, then the players can obviously hear it on the pitch pretty loud and clear. But with fans, obviously, that gets drowned out a bit. So it is a bit of a new experience, especially with something like playing out from the back, where you, if the fans do get on your back, you can get nervous and a split second can completely get you off your game and where you want to go. So... Um, it, it, it's definitely a good point that it, it was a new experience for us and um, especially under our new system under Mikko Arteta because we, we haven't played for it at the back with fans in the stadium so it, it was definitely something new yeah um, and I suppose there are things we can extrapolate from the game not really in terms of making any long term conclusions but the pace at which we played and the fact we struggled to break down a well defensively organised team is obviously something that came back to haunt us at the weekend so sort of moving on to the Leicester game um, mm. unless anyone wants to unless anyone wants to give yeah. me love well you know if you want we can give some love for David Luiz getting his head on the on the Pepe free kick uh, uh, when, they, when the Vienna players started to get fouly which basically transformed the game for us but uh, and then obviously the Bellerin patented overlap into space which we saw a couple of times sadly not the same effect at the weekend um, but yeah I mean how, how do you sum up this Leicester game because obviously after the game you know the Twitter sphere understandably was a bit morose and there was this overwhelming sense of frustration partly due to the the utter fucking predictability of Jamie Vardy suddenly being miraculously fit to come off the bench and run around like a madman and get the winner. Um, particularly scoring in a channel where we had a defensive injury and were unsettled. <laughs> but um, taking that apart, with the benefit of a little bit more time, how do you view the Leicester game? Um, it, because it, it was really a, a, a contradictory game yeah, I'm really glad that you have mentioned the uh, time passing after the match because after the match I was like, we are losing to Leicester again and to Vardy goal. You know, <laughs> Vardy, I really can't stand him. I can't stand Leicester at all <laughs> for purely selfish reasons, obviously. But and now that the time has passed and we have seen the few reports and uh, videos and analysis and everything like that, it's a lot easier to 
go and talk about too much. And it's just not not a lot to criticize, to be honest, especially uh, in the first half. I mean, the second half was really bad, and everyone can, can say that. But the first half was really good, great. Our first ha- best first half uh, this season. We just didn't use the chances that we that we create that we had something we have been crying for over the last few matches or oh, create some chances let's have more fun in in the attack and just as you said Matthew let Leicester knew knew the plan like like perhaps we did with the rapid Vienna they let us play the first half and we were okay and didn't use our chances and then they go and counter see that where there is a, there is space used it and had a really good ugh, striker up front to, to use the chance and they could have easily scored I think it was one or even two more similar chances there was, an, there was another, there was another one Vardy, yeah. yeah yeah of course they were the only two the shots half, they had yeah. in the, they were the only two shots they had in the entire fucking game on the target were those two from Vardy <laughs> later yeah I mean first half was really really good second half we definitely didn't look the same like the same team in the first half, or perhaps Leicester just, you know, saw saw what the plan is and uh, worked a lot better than in the first half. Well, just before we go to Mitt, I am going to say, uh, like the, the the Brendan Rogers tactical genius loving that was happening after the game made me want to eat my own fucking ears because, <laughs> like. <laughs> Oh like, gosh, pe- yeah. like he—he's obviously after the matches, like fucking Mister Lick himself to death if he's made out of chocolate, and and all the and all and all the pundits are going, oh yeah, well, it was a brilliant game plan, you know, Arsenal fell exactly into Leicester's game plan, Mikel Arteta's got a lesson, like with it, with slightly better use of the ball in the final third and better officiating, Arsenal go into half time three yeah. 0 up, and and Brendan Rodgers can go fuck himself, <laughs> you know, at the end of the That's day. True. We can't just because it worked out for Leicester in the end. They they can't kind of pretend that they played well or it was a great game plan. Arsenal were wasteful and should have put them out of sight. You know, it was it wasn't it was a bit again. It was another bit of a sort of late Wenger period fixture where we have a lot of the ball, can't sustain it and get caught with a sucker punch because we don't take our chances. But that I don't care what they say for a team that, that actually do have. Not you know some resources. They're not like a team at the bottom half of the table or kind of propping up avoiding relegation. Yeah. They're a team with European ambitions and they're playing in Europe. So they got fucking lucky. They didn't play well and must you know everything to the best of their abilities. They actually played quite shit apart from about a fifteen minute period in the second half when our legs went. Anyway, that's what I think. But I'm going to ask Matt what he thinks. <laughs> Well, well, I, I found it funny because the commentators I was watching were basically begging for Jamie Vardy to come on, and they basically the whole game it, 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 they were basically hoping that Vardy would come on and do exactly what he did, and he did, <laughs> uh, and it, it was quite it, it was quite annoying because um, as I was literally about to tweet. Um, Oh, I'm really annoyed with these commentators. They just want Vardy to come on and score, as Vardy scored. So, um, <laughs> and yeah, it, it it was wasn't one of my finest moments. But the the game was, I I, I was I was frustrated. I was really frustrated with the game, and uh, like afterwards, like many of us were. I think the first half, as Anissa said, was encouraging because I think 
we at least created more chances than we, we have been doing recently. We, I think we had eight attempts on goal. I think that, yeah. that was right. 11. Um, 11, 11. 11. So yeah. it was even better than, than what we, what I expected. So th- th- that's really good for us at home against a team that sat back quite deep. I mean, Lacazette should have had a goal. I mean, I don't know how it got ruled out. It, yeah. it, it, it was really, it was a really harsh decision. Because um, it could I don't be. know how VAR didn't look at it for longer than it did. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it, I, I don't know, because it, there's that reverse angle, isn't there, from behind the goal where Xhaka's nowhere near Schmeichel. I mean, it's clear. It, uh, Andrew, Andy Clark said in the breakdown, that if they looked just from another angle than from the linesman, they could easily see that uh, there was no, no, nothing that Chaka did was interfering with the goalkeeper. Well, even Dermot Gallagher after the match, and we know that referees are very loath to criticise other referees, particularly Dermot Gallagher, who's quite fair, but is tends to like sit on the fence when he can if it's controversial, like. Despite his best efforts, even he was kind of going, well, I don't really know why, but maybe they thought this, perhaps, but I don't really... You know, when the when the ex ref who and particularly, you know, the, okay, there's a couple of ex refs who've got axes to grind and they're different, but he's not one of them. And yeah, I mean, universally, everyone's come out and gone. It was a cock decision. So anyway, and then, and that's two for for us in the last two Premier League games because obviously we had the Gabriel nearly get his head kicked off by Carl Walker. Yeah decision um so it's it's not going well for us um in, in terms of getting the the rub of the green with var so shocking um, absolutely shocking yeah it's almost <laughs> as if it's run yeah, by the same um, people who've been refereeing I, us for the last 10 years <laughs> <laughs> um but um the, the the second half is really the the, the worrying performance mm. like the the, the, the how because obviously David Luiz goes off injured, and then after that we we just struggle to create throughout. It's it, it is like you said, um, like left to right, right to left, like possession, but without any incision going forward. There's no movement um, going forward from midfield. Um, everyone's quite static. The only runners we had were, were Bellerin and um, Tierney on the overlap, but they in the second half they put Madison um, on the right um, to cover Be- um, on the left of Leicester's midfield to cover Bellerin on the right, um, and the same with Tierney. I don't know who who did it for Leicester on that side, but they were basically covering both sides, so we couldn't overlap, and and it, it was it, we just could not get through and. That's the worrying bit because most teams are going to see that Leicester blueprint and think, well, if we just uh, sit a deep block, we're not going to be troubled by Arsenal and we can sucker punch them as well. Yeah, I mean, that is, I'd say, a very accurate summation. Um, I mean, I think we we have to say that the team's legs did look like it was going in certain players towards the end of the game, not just in David Luiz's case. Uh, although clearly we did miss his ability to play long passes although Mustafi came on and actually his first contribution was to play a beautiful long ball and then he did yeah. nothing good after that so <laughs> uh, we, we, no doubt we'll get onto his involvement in Leicester's goal in due course but uh, 
I mean, it, I, we had that excitement, didn't we? Because it's the it, 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 even though we weren't playing a four three three really, because Jack was playing this what the fuck position is he playing role. <laughs> we were we were largely playing something closer to a four three three than we have done to this point in time. Um, I actually thought Xhaka was probably one of our best players at the weekend. Sadly, uh, generally when Xhaka's one of your best players, that's not so good for the team. And that's not me slagging him off. That's saying that he, you know, he, his job is as a continuity player rather than someone that's going to be offering a lot at the sharp end. Um, and you were totally right about the, st- the static nature of the team. I mean, I'd say one of the really big problems we've got, and I'm hoping eventually that moving more fully to a 4-3-3 will change this, is how rarely we get m- people from midfield areas in the final third, um, which means if an opposition is playing a back five, like our front three have got nowhere to go. Absolutely nowhere to go. And there's And those half spaces... Are being occupied by people who don't really have the skill sets to occupy those half spaces. I mean, Saka's shows shows enough to suggest that he's got an eye for that, and he and he might become a really really good player in those pockets. Um, certainly, he's offered more there than most of our players this season. But we've got we've got there's this it's a bit like there was under Unai Emery, only not being as chaotic. We've now got a structured version of that kind of really stretched midfield to front um, connection. Uh, which means Lacazette is finding himself understandably struggling trying to fulfil a role which basically isn't his skill set. Um, you know, I mean, he's, he's got the intelligence to play the role, but he just doesn't have the physicality or the or the passing ability to distribute quickly to be really effective at it. You know, he's not really a one-touch passer with any great accuracy, and he just gets bullied by centre-halves as soon as he's got to try and hold them off a lot of the time. So I've got sympathy for him because he's put in a role that basically he can't play uh, and is doing his best at it because there's no one else that can play it either in the squad. Um, and as we saw with Leicester, you know, once they block down those the, the channels on, down out wide as you pointed out and when once our, we started to have a little bit more mobility and Saka got the knock which limited his effectiveness until eventually went off we, we really we really became a bit powder puff going forward um, and this is a bit of a theme and you know I wanted to talk before we finish off the mouth match ask you guys what you thought might be causing that and what do you think we can do about it Nice um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess that's the, the million dollar question, isn't it? Like, um, why are Arsenal not creative? Why are they so toothless up front? And uh, I, I don't think there there is one particular reason why, but I think it's a combination of a, a lot of things. I think I'm... I don't mind Aubameyang on the wing, but you've got to have a, re- a, a, a good reason to put him on the wing and him excelling on there. But at the moment, he doesn't seem to be excelling on the wing. And he obviously is not the type to dribble. He's not the type to play through balls. Um, so he, he's basically ineffective there. So, And with Lacazette, I mean... I, I like Lacazette more than most people on Twitter have presented <laughs> him as um, this week. And, 
and um, but he doesn't. He does not look like he's in good form. And I know Mikko Arteta really, really wants to go against using Aubameyang through the centre, but. I just think we've tried a lot of things going forward and I think him going central and then maybe allowing some more technical secure players on the wings mm. will be better for us in the long run creating going forward. If that means Willian and potentially someone like Reese Nelson on the wings, just so we have more players who will pick up the ball in those half spaces and at least be an option or have more fluid movement, then maybe it's something we have to do because it is a real conundrum what we're going to do going forward. And I think Artes has tried a lot, but I think maybe the this is the time now to push the button on the Bamiyan going centre forward. Yeah, I mean, just before you have your thoughts, Anita, I think... Uh, we're really seeing it's you know our three most expensive signings of all time our three attacking players we're we're being reminded every week that they were bought without any relation to each other in terms of the planning of their purchase like they're all very good footballers to varying degrees and very good at what they do but as a trio they make no fucking sense at all apart from the fact that they are you know as in terms of just talent levels our best players in the attacking third but, I mean, what's your thoughts, Anita? Well, I do agree with Matt saying that, yes, we did try a lot of things uh, in, in attacks, trying different combinations, and that it's definitely a time to try Obama Young as a central attacker as well. I was a bit, I wouldn't say, perhaps I would say this disappointed in Danny Ceballos over the weekend. I felt like he didn't have a really good match and that perhaps some of his uh, creativity going up front uh, was missing as well as, as you mentioned with our midfield pass especially in the, in the second half were not really going forward so maybe I think that maybe I expected a bit more from him in that uh, that part uh, of the game that he would improve passing to to the attackers and creating a few few of the chances and i mean it just feels weird to me you know in in a team like arsenal that we are very used to creative midfielders and creating chances that we have david luis as the most creative player in a game at home that just you know feels weird to to, to see and and it's a fact it's not something like oh yeah yeah i totally agree notice and mentioned it, it really he much answers well, I mean, we, you and I exchanged messages during the match about Danny Ceballos' performance, and uh, you know, he had yeah. a, he had a couple of really good moments in the second half, but I thought generally he looked a bit off the pace, didn't look a hundred percent fit, as you commented as well, mm-hmm. and was just a bit sloppy in possession um, in a way that yeah. is slightly uncharacteristic from what we've seen. You know, it was a bit more like Danny Sabias of of this time last year rather than what we saw at the end of the summer, which is, I, I mean, I don't think that's a trend, um, but it, it, it was a trend in this game. Uh, but you know, I, I do think there was a lot of sloppiness throughout the team, which is why I'm wondering how much for some of the players the, the game in Vienna took out of them and, and the travel and what have you and possibly the weird thing of playing at like 
Sunday night. <laughs> Uh, as opposed to like a kickoff time that anyone's ever fucking heard of before out, out, outside of Spain. Um, I mean, do we do? We know that Abamyang as a centre forward, linking play is not his great strength, and we know that at the moment we're reliant on a setup of trying to use Lacazette to link play. Um, so that's obviously we know we I think it's not rocket science that that's why Aubameyang's not been playing centre forward but uh, I, with, uh, with with the technically secure players out wide being an option in a, and I'd include to a degree Pepe in that although you'd need someone very technically secure on the other on the other wing to 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 balance that out but is there something we need to look at about the composition of our midfield um, I, th- I think it is something that can definitely be looked at because I think so. Obviously, the midfield that we we played in this game was was Xhaka, Ceballos, and Partey, and Xhaka obviously wasn't really in midfield. He kind of was filling that left centre back, left back role um, in in possession. So. <sighs> I, the midfield is something that can be improved, and maybe using someone like Bukayo Saka potentially in in left centre mid could be an option because he does seem like someone who is a very versatile player who could play that role pretty well. I, I mean, I remember I know we lost against Brighton um, last season, but the away game against Brighton, he mm. started in that role and he was he was very good that game. Mm. So um, I think it is worth trying it, but I, I it's about who you drop, I guess, because uh, as you said, um, the Xhaka played well in this game and um, Partey's just joined. He, he was very good in, in um, Vienna Um he he was our best player. He looks like really above head and shoulders above all our midfield options. And Sabios has obviously had this massive improvement under Mikel Arteta. So it is a bit difficult, but I, I guess for the greater good of the the team and the greater balance of the team, I think maybe one of them has to step aside. Maybe it has to be Xhaka. Maybe it has to be Sabios, who are who are good players, but maybe for the balance that we might have to try something different there. I mean, I, I've been, I, I've kind of wanted it, but I, I know he's been injured, but maybe even someone like um, Emil Smith-Rowe, maybe mm. he could get um, like chances, maybe not exactly in centre midfield, but he is someone that done really well on loan. I know he's at Huddersfield, but he was someone who was creative and done a good job in the championship and that's not an easy league to do that in. So I, I, I think it is time to maybe try something new in midfield and maybe Thursday night will be the perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I he's been starting to get a little bit of, of game time on a 23 level. So I'm hoping that Smith Rowe can get game time against Dundalk because like you, I think he is the kind of player that yeah, he's not going to suddenly come in and be first choice or anything, but he's a player, he's a player that... Sorry, my cat. <laughs> Everyone's a critic. Um, but yeah, Smithrow's the kind of player that, that provokes action. You know, I think I think partly with the structure they were playing with, but also partly the players we have in, in midfield areas, there's a, bit, there's a bit too much safety. 
in the, in the way that we approach games. There's not enough people. Uh, you know, we saw it a bit like the, the, the game earlier in the season where the one time Danny Sabias actually got into the opposition penalty area, he set up the winner for Inketia. Uh, and this is the thing we have. We've got three central midfielders or two and a half, depending on what the said team setup is. But literally, we've only got two, sometimes three players that get into the opposition penalty area. And that makes it very difficult to score goals. <laughs> uh, and so if we're not going to change the formation... We need to be picking uh, more personnel who are willing and able to get into those areas without having to have the ball given to them in those areas. And I think, and I think, you know, Smith Rowe, although it's a lot to put on his shoulders, and we need to be seeing him hopefully get stay fit and getting a game, a run of games in the Europa League because he can bring some of that, even if it's just off the bench, just a slight change of pace. And in a, in a bit like when when Willock came off the bench for Özil in the Europa League final that we don't want to talk about. Uh, it changed the dynamic of that game very significantly, uh, and because just because it was someone uh, suddenly Willock has lost his way a little bit in terms of identifying what he is as a player, but at that point in time, it was someone who was bringing something to the game that wasn't happening because everyone was being very static, and you just need players who are willing to take risks to to force things a little bit and and I think within the very systematic setup that we've got I totally understand why it's there we don't look like a defensive shambles every fucking game now so it's clearly having an impact but we also need to find a way to, to take the shackles off and I do think that party is going to be a big part of that when he gets settled but I also think the other player who's A done really well and B is going to be instrumental for us going forward is Gabriel I mean what are you making of his performances of late? Um, yeah, I think Gabriel's been an incredible signing. Like, um, I, I, I think for what we pay for him and his age, he's turned out to be probably our best defender overnight. And that, that's exactly what what you want. I, I don't know if that's, I guess, maybe um, telling of our other defenders, um, not naming any names. Yeah, it's, but... it's not like it's, Bingo! It's really, very hard to be a better. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have a winner. Yeah, <laughs> but, but like when you see him go into a challenge, you're not like when you see Arsenal defenders go into a challenge, you're not completely and utterly anxious that he's going to do something really stupid. You're quietly confident that he's going to win the ball and do something intelligent. And he, he's been really solid in the back and he already looks like a, a leader because... Um, um, I'm sure we we want to forget the Leicester goal, but for the Leicester goal, he's telling um, <laughs> our other defenders to get into position. That that is um, quite leadership, even if they um, maybe did not do um, what he said. So, um, but but yeah, he 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 is very encouraging. I do. I do worry about the amount of games he's playing at the moment because mm. he, he, obviously with all the injuries that are going out with, with the, the centre-backs, he's gonna he's probably going to play on Thursday. We haven't registered Saliba, so he mm. can't play. We haven't re- registered Socrates, he can't play. So he, he's going to play on Thursday. He's going to play on Sunday. So he's going to have a lot of game time under his belt. He's basically played every game. And... Um, yeah, so I do worry about that. But apart from that, he's been an incredible signing. 
Yeah, from what we have seen from him and from party in the last two, two matches that he got to start and you know show us how he definitely fits in our midfield and there is a plan. This all makes me feel so, so, so frustrated that we didn't manage to get our mm. because obviously he was also very... He seems like a really perfect fit and from as the matches go by, it seems like, oh yeah, definitely we are missing someone exactly like him yeah yeah i mean despite the uh despite the intentions of certain naughty parts of the, of the media to pit it into an edu against against arteta uh battle for which player was signed ultimately it doesn't doesn't really matter what their preferences were uh, you know leon wanted more money and party had a release clause so <laughs> you know that's that's that you know that's why that happened um and although we're going to really miss not signing a player like our this season, uh, if if you can't get him at a price that you think is reasonable, then there's there's no point, particularly in the current climate, going mad. Uh, but you know. yeah, no point at all. But it's nice to see that there is definitely a plan that they are they def- definitely picked really good players to to sign to improve this team, and at least that's something to look forward. To. Yeah, yeah, it's that thing, that strange thing of. When, I mean, we had that full stall a little bit with this, with the Mislin Tata arrival, where suddenly it's like, hang on, we're signing players that fit our weaknesses, but then, <laughs> uh, but then not, obviously not all not all of them turned out quite as we had hoped, and, and that's just going to happen sometimes when you're taking taking risks in the market because you can't spend sixty million pounds on a new centre half every time you feel a, <laughs> you feel a bit worried, like hell. Um, so. I, I guess we need to see if this is something that's a pattern or is the team evolving because we've now seen slight tweaks to the system in every game recently and we know that that's you know Arteta's going to want to do that but we also know that we've just signed a central midfielder for nearly 50 million quid uh, who is clearly going to be a key component and that will change everything around it so I, I suppose why frustrating at the moment it's going to be really interesting and potentially very exciting to see how that leads to some change in the central areas certainly having a midfielder that can run forwards and backwards at, at some kind of competent speed should give us slightly more tactical flexibility than we've had in a little while um, and certainly against smaller teams, we should feel be able to feel a bit more adventurous going forward. I guess part of the frustration of the game against Leicester is we got a glimpse of like Leicester without Vardy and Leicester with Vardy. And you know, the fact is that J- Jamie Vardy is probably the best one-man counter-attacking striker in Europe at the moment when he's fully fit uh, because he's rel- you know he's so quick. He's really smart with the way he plays, and you know he takes up great positions. And he's relentless in his in his work rate. And without him, it was like well, unless unless our goalkeeper gives it to one of their midfielders to chip him, that's the only way they're going to even get a fucking shot in this game. Whereas as soon as he came on, like as you said, the commentators were waiting for it. We were all like, oh fuck, here we go again. Uh, <laughs> The entire world was like, it's Jamie Vardy, and there's a bit of space in behind. Leicester are a completely different proposition. And even though, actually, it was a great run from Chingiz Under for, for their, their bizarrely loaned-in signing. Fuck knows why Roman lent, lent, lent him out when he's such a good player. But um, suddenly that transformed the match. 
and we went from being totally comfortable if if a bit static to being crapping ourselves and of course uh Vardy didn't waste any time trying to tangle with Gabrielle he just stuck himself on the staffy and waited for um <laughs> And that's not to say that I think Mustafi could have stopped the goal because I think Vardy is so good in those positions, but it would have helped. We have to talk about it, the fact that Mustafi, would, what the fuck his positioning was for that goal and his lack, lack of tracking back was like... Uh, it was like classic old-school Mustafi before, before the Renaissance. And uh, what we did on Monday... Go out and give him, offer him a contract extension after the next <laughs> So they say, and, and he rejected it. <laughs> no, who is the crazier part here? I mean, <laughs> uh, or, or, the, or was that leaked by his agent, <laughs> and, and may not have quite I mean, happened in that way. I can, you know, somewhat from from the economic perspective and all that, I understand, you know, offering him a contract extension probably would be something symbolic. So we could get some kind of money for him in the next summer when he will now leave for free. And that's just another player that we are letting go for free and not getting any funds for additional transfers. Although, unlike, you know, the likes of Aaron Ramsey and Jack Wilch or whatever, Mustafi's a player that we have actively been trying to sell for three years. <laughs> and, and, no, and no one has offered us any money for him. A couple of Italian teams have done their like, oh yeah, we'll buy him uh, if we can have him on loan for two years first. And, and then you let us have him for like a million quid at the end of it. And we're like, oh, we fucking might as well keep him then. Uh, you know. Um, but no, one, you know, no one's put in a serious attempt, made a serious attempt to buy him. So that's just what it is, um, and I don't. While it's frustrating, I don't see him losing, leaving on a free as being a negative thing for Arsenal Football Club, unlike others before him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, if he, uh, he he's not the worst player to leave on, leave on a free. I, I I would much rather see him leave on a free than us extend his contracts and then try and potentially sell him and then him stay. <laughs> For another season, I, I would I would much rather that because I, I so it's kind of good if the reports are true that Mustafi did reject the contract because then at least he will be out of this football club at the end of the season. <laughs> I mean, it's that weird thing, isn't it? Because we had the sort of we had the sort of rebirth of Mustafi, um, you know, following on from the good news story about about the about the return of Xhaka, um, but. Mustafi is just one of those players we've seen enough of him to know that you know he is capable of putting in runs of really good performances but you're just waiting for it and unfortunately as crowds start to return that's just going to get worse because yeah. he's going to have that tension you know I think you know I think despite the frustration you know people see he tries he has some good attributes he's capable of playing very well you know like when he first turned up him and Koscielny looked like Fucking brilliant defence until Koscielny got injured and then Mustafi just couldn't cope without him um, and ultimately the, you know it's not like this is a player where there's hidden potential like everyone we, we know what we've got he's a, he's, yeah. he's a very competent defender who sadly uh, doesn't deal very well when put under one-on-one -on -one pressure and is capable of switching off or doing stupid things a little too often to be playing as a first choice defender at this level and 
you know, with that in the case and knowing that he's not going to significantly improve because of his age, you simply don't invest, you know, £100,000 a week in that player. I mean, maybe they did it for the new contract and it wasn't quite the amount of money he was looking for. <laughs> I mean, that seems to me quite plausible. Maybe they're trying to go, well, it's COVID time. No one's going to be spending any money. So here's 30 grand a week. What do you say? Hey, hey, hey. Um, you know, I could see the logic in them, in them trying that in the same way that I could see the logic of offering 40 million pounds and a penny. Um, but uh, ultimately, yeah, I, I agree that it's the best for everyone and probably for him more than anyone else that he moves on and, and gets to rehabilitate his career somewhere where there isn't such an expectation of his impending doom every time every time he comes on because that must be very difficult to play play in an environment if you're not unless you're like a totally iron willed character. Um, but it does ask questions. But the thing is, he's probably going to have to play uh, a few yeah. times in coming. You know, Mustafi at Old Trafford again. It might have to be if Louise's injury is anything of a significance. Oh, don't no. remind me. Don't <laughs> remind. Hey, at least it's not Stepanov's. Or Carl Jenkinson at Old Trafford. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> or or, or Armin Traore, or Oleg Luzhny, or Jill Grimondi, or. <laughs> I'm now now just missing Gabriel getting injured uh, in Europa in meaningless Europa League match, and we have to see like uh, Mustafi and uh, Jaka covering at the centre back. <laughs> Why did you give it voice? <laughs> you, you you've put that into the universe now, Anita. <laughs> I'm counting down not the days till the, the <laughs> game against Manchester United and just every day is something something new, you know. Today they announced that Mike Green will be in charge. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Although the, the, the one thing I'll say for that is Mike Dean is such an, a, a raging egomaniac that he's just as likely to try and fuck them as fuck us because because it's the two it's two of the three biggest clubs in the country. Where else are you going to get a fucking audience like this? Look at me, admire me as I brandish my card. You know. Maybe his goal will be to you know equal the penalty record for us and them. Well, uh, possibly, <laughs> although Mike Riley's got a healthy lead on that one. Oh, don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean. Obviously, the the defeat against Leicester now leaves us in in depressingly familiar mid table. Uh, although we can take some comfort from the fact that a lot of the teams we'd expect to be competing with at the top of the table are also depressingly mid table, um, which which I, I suppose means it's too early to draw too many conclusions. I mean, obviously Liverpool are, are up at the top, but they've they've lost their VDV and some and. Uh, Suddenly, I've forgotten how to defend even with him in the team. Um, oh, they're definitely missing Lovren. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest centre back in the world. <laughs> who, who, who knew he was the king all along? Exactly. <laughs> linchpin, linchpin. Uh, so, so we're equal on points with Chelsea with a slightly inferior goal difference, despite them having, despite them having spent all the money and having had, you know, a similarly difficult fixture list. We're ahead of Man United. Okay, they've got a game in hand, and they could, they could pass us by a point if they win that game in hand. And we're still a point ahead of Man City. Okay, they've got another game in hand, but you know they have spent all the fucking money again as well. So, but they didn't, couldn't afford a, a new striker. No. Weird that. Guardiola said, yeah, yeah. 
but Guardiola, it's, you know, we just can't afford to compete financially with all these really big teams like Southampton and Aston Villa spending all this money. I mean, you know, poor me, I've only got an extra 150 fucking million to spend on defenders every summer. Oh, no. It's... Um. I, I'm, start, I'm starting to sub- subscribe to the uh, Fraudiola campaign. I have to admit, like I've, I've been, re- I've, I've been, I've been very resistant for a long time. But he's just such a whinging bastard when he's got everything stacked in his favour, and uh, yeah, like he seems to have zero personal integrity when it comes to dealing with anything outside of football matches as well so fuck that guy he just misses Mikel Arteta yeah who knew that Mikel Arteta was both the tactical genius and the moral compass (laughs) 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 so yeah I mean obviously we've we've got the Man United fixture on the horizon the way Old Trafford is not exactly a happy hunting ground but thankfully they're just as schizophrenic as we are so anything is possible and then um, mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm, indeed yeah I, I, I know the, I, <laughs> I, I, I know as the now married to the Man United fan you feel that more than most Anita so uh, sympathies but um, yeah, yeah first marriage marriage derby <laughs> yeah yeah ooh, there you go the first big test of marital bliss <laughs> um, but then after that okay I mean yes we haven't got the results we wanted but we've, you know, we may have lost the games we've played Liverpool away Man City away Leicester at home okay that's we should be doing better but they are a you know a, a better team in this league and we're going to be playing Man United away now we might not get the points we want but it's just you know it's a it's the usual Arsenal thing of let's get lots of really fucking tough fixtures right at the start of the season when we're still trying to work out what the hell our team is but at least then we have a range of fixtures that although will be challenging we're are not likely to be quite as ruthless in punishing punishing inefficiency um, at our part so we have to kind of take that optimism going forward and hope that that also coincides with the greater tactical certainty about how to implement party into the team but um I mean, one of the questions that we were actually asked this week were on uh, from a a listener, which I'm going to find the question as soon as I can lick, which you will find it, which is Adam Bradley or Adam underscore Bradley two two two. I'm this time I'm not going to butcher the Irish pronunciation like I did last time because. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh, Adam asks, "Hi guys, love the pod." Thanks, Adam. You can write again. My question is, based on Sunday's performance, where realistically do you think we will finish? Thanks. Oh, I mean, is it first half performance or second half performance? Well, <laughs> it's sort of take the two together and what does it add up to? I mean, I, I would like to say top four, but I'm not, not really sure just yet, but... Very cl- top four are very very close. Uh, definitely much better than than last season. That's what I'd say, and perhaps Europa League trophy. Let's go with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I I I think top getting back in the top six is probably minimum that we should be aiming for. I think top four would be incredible. Um, I I do have a sneaky suspicion that we. M- like Anita, we may win the Europa League. I don't know why I'm this um, this confident about it because um, 
in my lifetime I haven't seen Arsenal win a European trophy, so I don't know why we start winning one now. So, um, but um, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm really confident about that. But in terms of the league, I think yeah, top. I think top six. I think we might just miss out on top four, so fifth or sixth. Yeah, I mean. At the start of the season, we were sort of predicting, feeling quite good about top four. Now it's kind of like, okay, so we're seeing that there are still issues within the team which are going to be slightly harder to fix. Um, but yeah, it's that it's that fourth slash fifth, isn't it? It's that you know which, which side of the line, which of course depends on whether the other the other well-resourced teams get their shit together, you know. Because um, obviously Spurs are equally schizophrenic in their performances as well, uh, which you know, thank Christ for that. Cause otherwise, they'd be bloody unbearable. Um, yeah, they won yesterday. Yeah, one 0 I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it, it wasn't exactly a glowing performance of brilliance, was it? Um, you know, I didn't watch. I was I was greeted by my one of my clients is a Spurs fan, and this morning I got a message with uh, Harry Kane and uh, Son hugging celebrating the goal is just fantastic <laughs> well I mean that happiness on their part might start to erode when they realise if they play Harry Kane every single fucking game this season eventually his, his Achilles will go again um, which obviously we all hope doesn't happen at all um, <laughs> but the fact is is all all the top teams have vulnerabilities about them you know City have got issues with their strikers staying fit which means they're kind of limping through games at the moment. Uh, Liverpool have just lost Van Dijk, who we all know has been totally instrumental in in, in their transformation to, from being a challenger to a, an elite team. Uh, Spurs, no one's quite sure what's going on with them. Their defence looks a bit vulnerable, even though they, they've kept a clean sheet yesterday. Um, United, who knows what fucking United are going to turn up one week and, you know, and it, one, one week or the next, you know. They might score four goals a day. They might let in four goals. Who knows? You know. <laughs> and then you've got Chelsea, who seem to have bought all the players they need apart from defenders. Uh, I mean, they've now got a goalkeeper who actually saves shots, which is a bit worrying. Um, <laughs> yeah. But then, to be fair, there's a sample size of, like, one fucking game, so we'll have to see how that pans out. Um, what about Everton and us? Well, and... Yeah, well, I mean, I think it is. It might well be that open. I mean, Everton, Everton, I think have started showing some of their vulnerability in the last couple of games, but also Everton don't have the deepest squad. I mean, neither do we. Yeah. But uh, but there's and and you know they've also got the fact that Jordan Pickford Pickford appears to be heading closer to fucking lunatic every game at the moment. <laughs> so. I, I think that's a that's an interesting one to see how that unfolds and and you know Leicester sorry Villa leads you know can they sustain their level of performance at the moment I mean who do you do you guys think there's going to be a dark horse in the in the in the top six and one of the big guys might fall out or what's your feelings I think that Everton are probably the close setting that leads well as the season goes and there's more and more matches to be played, especially in when the Cups uh, start as well. I think that they won't be 
as as good as they are now, especially with the kind of football that they are playing at the moment. I think mm-hmm. Everton have much more experience with with the full season and they played in Europe as well. So even though they don't have such a big squad, you know, they 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 will last the longest in in that current situation that they're in. Yeah, like I think um, Everton are probably the the closest that will probably get to the the top six. I think they they've started the season really well, even if they did look pretty bad against Southampton. Um, and I think Leeds are a very interesting team, but I think a lot of Bielsa sides start to get really tired and gassed out in February. So that will be one to watch, um, especially because obviously with the, the cup games, as Anita mentioned, th- th- they are going to start looking a bit tired. So I think they won't sustain themselves. Um, Villa, like they're an interesting team um, with our ex goalkeeper and goal. Um, so um, <laughs> and, um, they look an interesting side, but again, um, I, I don't think they'll they'll sustain it. I think that they'll um, go down a bit further. Um, but I think Everton are closest. Fair enough. Um, well. Um... Just before we look ahead to the fixtures on the horizon, I just wanted to touch briefly on the games in the under-18s and the under-23s. Did either of you see anything about those, or shall I just rattle on? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I saw the the, the red card for um, the goalkeeper in the under-23s game. Uh, so, um, and then us having to play um, a centre-back in goal because we um, did not have a goalkeeper on the bench. So... <laughs> Um, so that that was pure um, <laughs> pure kind of Sunday league level, wasn't it? Um, yeah. like putting outfield player in goal, um, and uh, yeah, as as you're going to mention the, the the result, he did cover himself in the most glory in goal. So, I mean, he actually made a couple of decent saves, but it is that thing of like. It, it became a bit of a fast because you see it initially, and you're thinking, oh, they lost four one away at Man. Man City kids, you know, that's not great. And then you look, oh, but they had their goalkeeper sent off like really early for, for a total suicidal, like that was like the most blatant goalie red card, short of like Pickfording in. Uh, it was like, a, it was like a, a very blatant red card. Like it was like, and he's come charging out and he's got absolutely nowhere fucking near the ball. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then, yeah, Taylor Foran had to come off the bench to replace Carl Hein uh, because they, they didn't have a fit goalie on the bench for whatever reason. And, uh, and strangely enough, centre-halves in goal, despite their best efforts, despite the ghosts of Phil Jagielka haunting Arsenal fans of a certain vintage, um, you know, uh, the average 17-year-old or 16-year-old centre-half is not uh, not a, a brilliant shot-stopper at, at under-23 level against <laughs> against players who've played <laughs> You know, City had a few players that played in the Premier League as well, and it was a bit just like this is a bit silly. Um, but Arsenal actually took the lead in the game as well with uh, Moller, the new centre forward they brought in from Scandinavia, getting the goal after Balogun had a shot clean off the line. He looks like he's got some physical presence, which we we're sort of a bit lacking elsewhere in some of our striking options in the club. Uh, whether he'll turn out to be uh, 
nothing of any consequence or the next Owen Smith or the next Nicholas Bentner we shall wait and see uh, I've been enjoying bits of Bentner's autobiography all the way but we were just talking about that just yet uh, we'll save that for another podcast maybe in the next international break um, <laughs> uh, but yeah um, aside from that you couldn't really take anything from the game but the under-23s have been struggling a bit this season partly because most of the under-23s are out on loan and uh, yeah. various different places. Uh, I mentioned Dan Ballard's got two Man of the Match awards in one with one start for Blackpool, which is quite impressive. Came off, he got a Man of the Match in his other another game coming off the bench, which for a centre half is pretty unusual. Um, Trey Cole hasn't played that much. Zek Medley is having a bit of a tough time at Gillingham, playing largely at left back. Um, and then you know some of the other guys have uh, start. You know, there's been a few niggling injuries from the younger, younger players like John Jules and what have you. So uh, nothing too serious, thankfully. But it has sort of hampered their progress. Um, but the under 18s got back to winning ways with a three-one victory against West Bromwich Albion, having gone a goal down after some truly woeful defending. Um, but uh, but Luke Plange. Uh, Scored two, um, and uh, a third goal was an own goal from uh, from a, a West Brom defender after a great ball in from uh, Flores, the the young Mexican winger, whose sisters did used to be at the Arsenal women's club, but now both buggered off to Chelsea women uh, for whatever reason. Um, but he's a really exciting player, and I, I think we, we, you know he needs to develop physically a bit, but. They're a bit raw, this under-18 team, because they're literally, apart from one or two of them, they're all first years. Um, so, you know, half of them are like 15 or just 16. But there's a lot of talent in that group, so we should definitely keep our eyes on them. Um, but, yeah, we have to kind of... Well, actually, last thing. Sorry, I'm being all over the shop. Last thing, before we talk about the next... The, the get fixes coming up. It's this week's Mesut Ozil slot. Hooray! <laughs> um, so we, we 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 touched last week on the fact he wasn't included in the Europa League squad, and then he wasn't included in the Champions League squad. Him and Socrates, two unlikely bedfellows, but there we go. Premier League. Yeah, sorry. Thank you, Anita. Oh. Uh, it's been a long day. You wish it's Champions League. Yeah, well, you know, uh, not really, to be honest. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't mind the Champions League money, but I don't fancy playing Bayern Munich anytime soon. Um, <laughs> With Lewandowski getting a hat trick literally every fucking week at the moment. <laughs> um, yeah, so obviously there was Urzil's statement. I don't know if we want to talk about that in any way, shape, or form, or the way that, mm-hmm. or the way that Koscielny and a couple and Wilshire and people have been saying supportive things, and Wenger was saying supportive things, and yet Lauren came out today and went with, you know, essentially fuck that guy. Um, so uh, there's that, but there's also the fact that the news emerged today that uh, getting on the, the Rashford hype train, he's basically paid for free school meals, meals for all the kids at a, a school near where he lives in Barnet. And I think it's important to mention these things. Yeah, it, he has been doing that since March, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, actually, he does a shitload of work for for, for children, particularly. You know, yeah. he, every yeah. year he pays for quite a number of life-saving operations, doesn't he, for very ill children? And um, it's important to mention that because what we ever hear about is is the divisive elements of Erzul, and it's sometimes good to mention the things that everyone can get on board with. <laughs> Talk about the divisive things about Mister. So, what do you guys think about his? A newly developed Twitter game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you, you mean, yeah, I mean. I mean it's a bit cringe. You know? 
Oh, we lost you for a second, Anita. Sorry. Uh, he's uh, the fact that he's tweeting matches and giving you know heads up, uh, congratulating players and predicting the score and everything. It's just all a bit a bit cringe for me. <laughs> well, before we go, he he was quieter a bit on um, on Sunday against Leicester. I think he all he did was predict the the game and the, um, the score and then he didn't really tweet after that <laughs> so um, so he, 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 was, he, he was struggling to, he wanted to tweet uh, they are missing someone in the number 10 position so <laughs> his manager was probably oh, oh Mason stop I don't take your phone from you don't tweet that <laughs> uh, are you suggesting it's, it's that he's got someone stopping him from doing the Donald Trump of like tweeting on the shitter at 3 in the morning <laughs> the yeah, best definitely. assists got all the assists all the great balls <laughs> <laughs> yeah I definitely think Mesut is definitely doing all, all of this by himself and it's his initiative <laughs> hashtag sarcasm <laughs> <laughs> hashtag yeah I need to yeah um <laughs> I mean that hashtag is yeah super cringe. But I mean, I do. It's quite funny because now we've got a different level of game going on between him and Arteta. You know, did you enjoy Arteta's response? Oh, I mean, that was just fantastic. Yes, that's what I expect from players who are not involved. <laughs> Perfect. It, it was kind of an indirect at Scarasis, though. Like, was he trying to tell him to start live tweeting the games as well? It's like, he, he was like, oh, that's what I expect from players that are not in the squad. So, what are you doing? I, I, think, I think that you are the only one who ever taught for Socrates <laughs> ever since the teams were announced and that he wasn't on the, on the list or anything. Everyone just talks about Mesut so no one mentioned Socrates at all. <laughs> yeah, poor old Papa. You can't really, you can't really imagine him doing like, doing fucking Instagram kind of emojis. He's, he's not that kind of personality, is he? <laughs> I, I eat your hashtag. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I mean, it's... It, it's it's a weird one because obviously the, the instinct is to be very cynical because some some social media activity before has been very cynical. But I suppose, like literally, as he knows he's not going to play, like what the fuck else has he got to do? He's just it's like he, 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 he needs he needs to do something else with his thumbs other than Fortnite. Um, yeah, it's it's just a weird, sad situation. Um, uh, of course. Uh, adding to the comedy value of it, we we have his agent doctor. <coughs> I wonder what that doctor is. In. Uh, <laughs> coming out, coming out, giving his uh, <laughs> ten, ten pennies worth on everything. Uh, these scattergun shots, and uh, again, as you as you rightly say, they're all going. Ursula's being so unfairly treated. It's just because they all hate him, and Arteta's a lying fucker. And it's like, yeah, but there's like other players they haven't registered too. And like they've got too many players. Like we knew this. That's why they were trying to sell players. Like including Özil. <laughs> like they, did, they didn't make any secret about the fact they wanted to sell him. So what do you yeah, want to happen I, here? I, I think I think that he, he, as an agent, you should be able to read the room and read when you're not wanted. So uh, I, I think I think Arteta's made it pretty clear that he did, didn't want him. So I don't know how his agent can come out with those comments when 
as an agent, you should be doing your job and trying to find him a new club if he's not wanted by, by his current club. Yeah, although I guess there's a whole lot of uh, pounds a week that kind of, uh, you know, the agent's probably going, well, my cut's 20%, so you can fucking stay, bitch. <laughs> uh, um, but at the end of the day, it's it's also the thing of, there was a, you know, it happened in, in COVID summer, so there was really very few teams. Like, how many teams are going to want to give vast wages to an overpaid, slightly fading uh, very very skilled, but number ten in a world where number tens don't really aren't really in vogue anymore. It's you know, it basically fuck off to America or fuck off to China, and you know China Erzul's not wanted after his comments about, <laughs> about you know his quite accurate comments about what's been happening there, and America mm-hmm. is like fucking you know the, the only teams in America that could, can afford him are the ones that are like COVID war zones, so there's not many fucking games. So uh, I guess. I, I guess it was, it's a combination of that and a slightly unfortunate timing as well. Um, but, yeah, it is what it is. We're just going to have to kind of keep on it happening and let's hope that at least while he's here, Mesut does some nice things for children. Um, and and maybe and maybe once we actually get other centre-halves fit and Socrates and Mr. Staffy fuck off in January, maybe uh, as well make a glorious return for his swan song and carry us through the latter stages of the Europa League, much to everyone's surprise. <laughs> I believe in fairy tales. So, <laughs> looking forward, we've got Dundalk in the Europa League uh, uh, this week. Uh, I mean... Do you anything? I don't know if you know anything about Dundalk apart from the fact that they are an Irish and they're doing done quite well to get this far. <laughs> um, I'm enjoying your face, Anita. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I. <laughs> um, so um, I, it's inevitable that those words are going to come back to haunt me this week. So um, about me not knowing anything about him, I'm sure I'll know much more about him after Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, you've been, you've seen this show before. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I, I mean, they 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 narrowly lost to to Mulder, having Mulder a shock in the opening game, but. I guess we're going to see a lot of rotation and I'd be very surprised if we don't end up seeing some of the younger players scoring goals. It's not going to be as fun as we did in the good old days when we used to roll out Carlos Vela for the League Cup or you know, or some random unheard of kids that then never played again in the Europa League. But um, I think we should win comfortably and hopefully with a completely changed team apart from those that we can't change because there aren't any other defenders. Um, but I guess it's it's going to be Cedric Suarez and Kalas Nacho Clock. Um, maybe maybe we'll even see our new goalie for the first time. I, I, I mean, <laughs> it is weird how he hasn't made one appearance in, in any of the cup competitions um, already. It, 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 when Bern Leno said he is the number one, he literally <laughs> meant it. He's never, um, never being dropped for a game ever again. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know what, what agreement he's got there. Um, <laughs> And then hopefully, you know, if Smith Rose fit, we'll see him. Obviously, you'd, you'd hope Reese Nelson gets a game. Uh, you'd expect El Nini to play. In um, will start up front. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Joe Willock, hopefully. 
Exactly, exactly. And then after that, it becomes a little bit about who, depending on who's fit, you know, maybe Pepe will start, depending what's going on with Willian. Um, central defence might end up picking itself, but that is what it is, what it is. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a game we should be able to kind of be quite relaxed about. Um, and then, of course, we have a slightly trickier proposition at the weekend. Uh, I mean, given, as I said, we were saying before, you know, United are such a hard team to know what the hell they're going to do from one game to the next. How do you see that playing out? Um, <laughs> like, I, 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 it, it's difficult because Man United have been very poor defensively, and we've been very poor going forward. So it's so nil nil, six all, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so nil nil um, is on the cards. Um, I mean, I I think he has to try something a bit different in this game against Man United I think obviously it's going to be difficult and I don't think he's going to go full gung-ho um, but maybe a bit more adventure adventure in, in his um, tactics um, and the system might go a long way in getting us a result I mean we haven't won there in 14 years I think it's been like in the league anyway yeah 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 um, so it would be breaking a, a massive um, streak going forward if we could actually get a result there. Um, although they haven't beaten us in the league in the last two years, so um, that is um, something to um, be encouraged by. But then again, I've probably jinxed us. <laughs> so, um, um, so yeah, um, I, I think it, it. I think we. I would like to see Aubameyang going forward, like I said, um, as a centre striker. As I said earlier, um, and maybe Willian on the right, and maybe one of Pepe, or if Reece Nelson does well against Dundalk, maybe he can get a start. Um, but I, I, I do fear that he might just go with with Lacazette um, up front again, and um, hopefully he does. If he does start, he, he will do better. But yeah, I'm I, I'm not expecting much from the Man United game. I, I rarely do. Um, because it is Old Trafford, again, 14 years since we beat him in the league. Um, but, I mean, Mikko Arteta has surprised me a lot in his very short tenure as manager, so maybe he'll surprise me on Sunday. What's your thoughts, Anita? <laughs> well, before we uh, started recording, I, I asked my, my dear husband what he, he <laughs> thinks about the, the match, and he's so sure in the, in the in their win. It just makes me think, yeah, well, definitely, it's going to be a win for us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have much choice but to be optimistic and hope for, for the best in any match against Man United. And as you both mentioned, they it's hard to predict how they will look, how they will play, because they have been all over the place as well. I hate to admit, but they were really looked really good against Chelsea, and they probably deserved a win there. But it was it was a draw, unfortunately for for them, and good for us, I guess. But it's gonna not gonna not gonna be easy. I think that um, as Matt said, we Ateta might it's a risk, but I think that he will. Uh, 
a bit closer to how he planned for, for Man City and Liverpool matches as well because it's still a big team and a big opponent and he will perhaps try to play it a bit safer. But I hope for the best as always. I mean, I think you're right. I think you guys are both right. I think we're going to see a slightly more conservative approach, partly yeah. because we know that United can be really dangerous if you leave space in behind, you know, with Martial and Rashford and, and you know, depending on who they're playing on the right and with Bruno Fernandes liking those balls over the top and even Pogba if he's playing. You don't want to be leaving larger gaps of space uh, behind you. Um because that's that's we've all seen that's when United have been most successful and they can pick teams off on the counter. Um, so it might be a bit of a chess match in that respect. I think we do have to. I mean, it's it, it's odd. It's one of the few games where I think we should target wide areas uh, as opposed to the way we have been in recent games where I don't think we should be doing it. But I do think, uh, despite Wambasaka being very good defensively, I think Shaw can be got at. I think Lindelof covering out into the channels. Is a is a bit of a weakness for United, um, and so I, 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 you know, I hope that if if he can get some some traction at the weekend, uh, sorry, in the, in the midweek game, I, I hope that we see Pepe on the right actually because I last time we played them he gave Luke Shaw a, a, a ter- terrible time, and uh, I do think he he has the capacity to you know I think he's a player that might be more impactful in big games. Uh, Pepe and I think that United is a kind of game that might suit him particularly if we're playing slightly more on the back foot and looking to spring in behind them as they are trying to do to us um, as we all know that Harry Maguire is not the quickest turning oil tanker in the world um, <laughs> so yeah uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting one it's again hard to call uh, I mean the Mike Dean factor is, is there as, as is the general but- as is the Bruno Fernandes falling over anywhere you get time he gets anywhere in the fucking penalty area <laughs> but Jesse Lingard is injured <sighs> <laughs> I had genuinely forgot so that, about him it's not gonna do a Vardy you know, so that's at least something I've genuinely forgotten that Jesse Lingard existed <laughs> yeah because he always resurfaces for, for you know, Arsenal matches similar like uh, Aguero for City has become a trend now as well. So. well I mean, Aguero, Jesse Lingard, can you tell them apart? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. not comparable, but you know, in the terms for Arsenal related. <laughs> Cool. Okay, so uh, I know we've we've been all very circumspect. I want scoreline predictions, people. Man United at Old Trafford. Give me your scoreline. Mm, I'm gonna go with one-one. Um, do you know what? I'm gonna be optimistic. I'm gonna go two-one Arsenal. Mm. Good stuff. And I, and I had already decided I was going to go two-two, so that all works well together. <laughs> I, think, I think it'll be the game where we randomly find some creativity, but there'll be a dodgy Man United penalty because we know how this works. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I think we'll probably stop it there because otherwise we'll be talking forever, and we will got to you know eat dinner and stuff. Um, <laughs> But yeah, uh, thank you, listeners. If you got this far, I hope it's been uh, reasonably entertaining. I hope you've enjoyed the fact that we have some new, fresh blood on the podcast. And um, and yeah, uh, do get in touch with us with any questions you've got for future podcasts. We'd love to dig deep into some things as well as as well as uh, give give slightly shorter answers like we did today. 
and um, obviously we'll be back speaking to you after these two games so um, thanks again as always to Anita always a pleasure mate and uh, thanks to Met our new special guest great to have another another person on the podcast and hopefully this can be the first of many thank, thank you for having me really enjoyed it and yeah have a great week everyone and we'll speak to you after we somehow miraculously get a result at Old Trafford despite the gods deigning it uh, impossible. Have a lovely week, everyone. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.